Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Be sure to stay tuned and hear more about Built Bar's amazing line of protein bars. On tonight's episode, we are going to be continuing our greatest goal scorers in pro sports review. We've, of course, covered some typical favorites like Patrick Laine, Alexander Ovechkin, Amanda Kessel, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, quite a few players like that. So be sure to check out the earlier episodes if you haven't already. But before we get to the brand new version of this review, I did want to touch on something that I saw last night involving the the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. You might be wondering why we're talking about baseball on a hockey podcast, but I feel like this particular situation that occurred during Game 6, I think it was, of the World Series has a lot of interesting implications when it comes to data analysis and hockey. The situation revolved around Blake Snell last night being pulled after, I think, pitching around a little over five innings. He did have around 73 pitches and was basically eating through the Dodgers lineup like it was nothing. It was a very good performance from him, probably one that you could call dominant. He only surrendered, I think, two hits on the night. And the second hit was when I think Kevin Cash ended up coming out to pull him, which, you know, this was the third time through the lineup. And certainly around this time, a lot of pitchers tend to have issues with those same rotational batters. On trip three, in most scenarios, the data trends tend to tell you that the pitcher probably needs to be subbed out because the third time through the order, they're going to know what you're throwing. They can see it, they can hit it, and oftentimes we see batting averages and you know pitching peripherals start to shoot up for pitchers who are typically really strong. That led to Blake Snell getting pulled last night, and of course Snell's reaction, I, I can't really repeat it on air, but suffice it to say he was pretty surprised, and I think most people were just absolutely shocked that this was happening. What's even worse is that the guy guy who came on after him, uh, a pitcher named Anderson, ended up having a really bad night, immediately gave up the go-ahead run, and the decision apparently cost Tampa Bay a potential shot at tying the World Series and going to Game 7. At the time, a lot of people were saying that, of course, this is where analytics falls short, and this is where data analysis really needs to be, I guess, put to the back burner in a situation like this, and a manager needs to trust his instincts. I think my response to that is, in a lot of ways, people don't understand what data analysis is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you a little bit more of an informed background to make decisions. It's not supposed to make the decision for you, and I think that in this scenario, Kevin Cash maybe overthought things a little bit. It is true that when coming up against the third time through the order, Blake Snell's ERA does notably shoot up, but I think that that is true for most pitchers, and it sounds like, based on looking at his peripherals, especially on batted balls in play, Snell might actually have been more unlucky than anything. His ERA actually wasn't reflective of the sort of pitching performances he was actually giving out. And so this kind of leads, you know, Kevin Cash to a bit of a conundrum. Do you pull him and hope that the relievers can kind of clean up the mess and and continue essentially following what most data patterns suggest on average? Or do you keep him in and let him try and get through the order? I think regardless of whether or not you really look at the data or sort of ignore it in terms of thinking about it as a longer trend thing rather than a short-term sample size, especially for making a key decision like this, I think you should have just left Snell in anyways. You know, if Blake was having issues with the lineup and starting to surrender a lot of hits, yeah, maybe you start to think about pulling him. But in a one nothing game where your ace has been dealing the entire game, has been striking out guys left and right, and has basically been close to unhittable, I just don't know why you would pull him at the 73rd or so pitch. 
data analysis can take a look at a really large sample size and give you some overall trends, but in terms of a really short-term solution and decision maker, this is not really what it's good for. I think in the sport of, of course, NFL-style football, where we see probability modeling being used to help make decisions, especially on play calls, you tend to notice that when they talk about these sorts of things, there are, in some areas, a little bit more of a generalization. And overall, they don't really seem to be as beholden to it. You know, when you look at the Baltimore Ravens, which is a very progressive organization, the statistical analysis that they do helps the coaching staff make decisions on the field about when might be the most appropriate time to try and force maybe a fourth down or something. They give you the odds of success based on other teams that have done the same thing, how much the Ravens have done it, defensive alignments, all that sort of stuff. They take those factors into account and give the coaching staff a little bit more insight into what the odds of success are. At the end of the day, though, the coach then has to make the decision to either follow maybe a recommended course of action based on the probability or trust his players to follow a certain plan that he's already set in place. And I think that this is kind of where Cash really fell short of the mark. I think Kevin needed to trust his pitcher a lot more than he did because, sure, overall the data does suggest that, again, through the third time through the order, pitchers are going to struggle. When you think about trusting your players, though, and especially having that relationship established, I feel like this is a situation where sometimes you just have to understand that in the situation, there are times that are going to go against the grain of traditional thought. This is probably one of those scenarios where, you know, in maybe a regular season game, you do pull it. But in a single elimination game, especially for the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, because the Dodgers were one game away from winning the World Series, this wasn't a situation where you could rely on the law of averages to tell you what the best choice was. Cash ultimately had to be the one to use that information wisely, and he kind of blew it. I think you can talk about this in terms of hockey because a lot of people think that, you know, when we talk about statistical analysis on the ice, they often assume that people don't watch the games and they make decisions based on a spreadsheet. But that's not really what data analysis is supposed to do. What it should help you do is figure out if, you know, your line combos are working as you'd expect and if there are maybe trends or data patterns that you're just not seeing because, for one thing, you can't remember everything that happens on the ice and two, maybe you think something looks right but underneath the surface, the truth is a little bit more complicated. Data analysis helps you fill in details of a story that you can only get a certain perspective on. From there, the decision makers have to use that information wisely. You know, you can't just base all of your decision making on what you see in a data pattern. It can help you, you know, fix maybe the wrong decision that you're making, but it's not always going to tell you what the right path is. And that's kind of why it's sort of married to this idea that you also need to understand technique and essentially outcomes based on those techniques. If somebody is consistently an outlier from the data set and doing so in a positive manner, then perhaps what they're doing is actually extraordinarily successful and you shouldn't change it. Last night was one of those scenarios where Blake Snow was having the kind of outing that definitely goes against the trend, and I think you need to trust him and he just didn't. Did it cost Tampa Bay the World Series? I, I don't know if I would go that far. I think Tampa Bay had some other offensive issues. I mean, certainly the LA Dodgers staff was pitching really well, and the Rays were only able to generate one run off of their pitching staff. So obviously they had other issues, but Snell gave them a better chance of winning than the decision to turn to some of the struggling relievers was ever going to yield. Data analysis is going to give you some information to help you make long-term decisions, but sometimes when it comes down to the wire, you also need to be capable of making those decisions yourself. Sometimes your gut ain't wrong. Speaking of trusting your gut, up next we'll take a look at a few players who my gut says are some of my favorite goal scorers to watch and really some of the best players in the league, and we'll talk about why some of these players continue to be the top goal scorers in the NHL and beyond. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. On this episode, we talked a little bit earlier about the importance of data analysis and understanding its role in professional sports. And now we're transitioning to more discussions about who some of the greatest goal scorers are. And maybe some of these players are actually players that, if you looked at a deeper uh, analytical dive, you'd actually find out are either really great at their job or maybe their, their goal scoring ability kind of masks some of their other deficiencies. And we'll actually start with one of those players because this is a guy that I've often struggled a little bit with. I think that he is one of the most exciting and dynamic attacking forwards in all of hockey, but he also has a number of glaring issues in the rest of his game that for me has always held him back in terms of being a really complete forward. I am, of course, referring to Kyle Connor, who, you know, recently I think has started to come under a bit more criticism and a little bit more of a microscope because he is being paid a lot of money. And while he is one of the NHL's best goal scorers, it is clear that without a guy like Mark Shifley, he just sort of fell apart. Now, in all fairness, plenty of goal-scoring wings do actually need to be paired with an elite center, especially as a, a distributor and a feeder, but I think the other issue that kind of happened to Connor was when he was away from Shifley, we did notice his lack of an ability to get the kind of space he needs to pull off what he does best, and that's scoring goals. When it comes to being ruthless and efficient and putting the puck in the net, there are a few forwards in the NHL that I would trust to do it better than Kyle Connor. I think that the way Kyle really approaches one-on-one matchups, essentially trying to fool the goalie or opposing defenders, I feel like he has a tool set that is next level. His elusiveness in space, his vision, his stick handling, all of these things allow him to be one of the most potent snipers around. He also has absolutely absurd hand-eye coordination, and I think it makes him a really special goal scorer, especially when he's getting those spaces where he can just rip a shot off really quickly. He also likes to get right up close to the goalie and pull off some really crazy puck elevations that maybe go straight up almost from nearly impossible angles, and it's hard not to be impressed with the way that he can actually score these. I feel like Kyle is one of those players who is maybe closest to what we call a poacher in soccer. You know, poachers are guys who understand where they need to be and and often get themselves into position, but they need other players to service them regularly. They have all of the finishing talent in the world, but it's where the rest of their game tends to fall apart a little bit, and I feel like that same situation sort of applies to Connor. I think the physical tool sets are all there. He's got incredible edge work, he's got a vicious release, he's got very good hands, and I feel like what's lacking for him has just been a little bit more on the IQ and decision-making side. His game is, weirdly enough, simplistic to a fault, and I feel like Kyle is one of those guys who just doesn't have that next level to his game that would turn him into arguably like a top 5 or a top 10 left wing in the league. As he is, I think he is a very good goal scorer, but there are certainly limitations to that, and we've already seen that without Mark Shifley or an elite playmaker, he just doesn't quite have the same jump. That said, when he is scoring goals, he is one of the most exciting forwards to watch on the ice because he can basically score from anywhere. He has an incredible arsenal of tools that he can employ at any time, and of course, the goal-scoring release is probably one of the best around. On the team, he may be, you know, second only to Line in terms of natural goal-scoring talent. If the rest of his game was just a little bit more well-rounded, I don't think I would ever have anything to complain about him. I think I would be thrilled that he's a Jet for the rest of his career. I would love to see it happen. But because he just has those moments where he's not quite there 100%, I feel like I always will have a little bit of a a disclaimer with him that says, all of these really pretty goals do come with a bit of a cost. Speaking of scoring goals at a bit of a cost, I also think that Mark Shifley for me represents somebody who is truly one of the most dynamic offensive forces and also a bit of a puzzling center. 
both he and Connor, as of late, have started to show some of the same tendencies, especially when it comes to defensive awareness and backtracking. I feel like Shifley is one of the league's best offensive centers, but over the past couple of seasons, it just feels like his entire role and and game style has really changed. While I don't think he has quite the same level of elite-specific tool sets as somebody like Line or Ehlers or, or even Kyle Connor in some respects, I feel like Shifley makes up for it with a lot of other really well-rounded tool sets that allows him to be such a potent goal scorer. I think one of his best traits is his offensive zone spatial awareness. He always seems to know where he needs to be in order to generate really high-dangerous scoring opportunities. He gets a shot off really quickly. He's got a really well-rounded release that's strong quick and accurate and he's also got a surprisingly good one-timer which he does employ sometimes on the power play and in certain scenarios on odd man rushes it's kind of funny because shifley for a long time never really struck people as like an elite goal scoring top line center i feel like most people thought he'd be a second liner at best a couple years ago though when he hit basically his career best he was just an absolutely unbelievable offensive force you could argue at the time that he was better than guys like nathan mckinnon because he played a more complete game he had a really well-rounded tool set and he was capable of not only dominating possession of the puck but also feeding his line mates and elevating the quality of his team nowadays that star has probably faded a bit just because i don't think shifley takes over games as much as he used to he tends to be more of like a supporting shooter and i don't really know if that's the best use of his skill sets what i think mark is better at is slipping between defenders finding those soft spots in coverage and taking advantage of lapses where he's able to score really quickly and surprise opposing skaters in in really crazy places where he's able to get a shot off when shifley is at his best he's an apex predator and hunting down those really soft areas to score goals he has a really diverse skill set that allows him to get into those soft areas and he uses it pretty frequently if he could just get back to where he was a couple of seasons ago in in both being a really gifted playmaker a bit more defensively attuned especially with his responsibilities as a center and you know maybe finding a way to stay healthy a little bit more i feel like he's had some very poor injury luck over the past couple of seasons and maybe that's part of the reason why his game has declined a bit too either way i think shifley is definitely one of the most exciting offensive forwards to watch and especially as a jets fan it's been a treat seeing him blossom into something more than just a middle six center who at one point people called bambi because he couldn't stay on his feet Nowadays, seeing him bearing down on your goaltender is a very scary sight because he can easily pass to a linemate, he can take a nice shot himself. Whatever he feels like doing to create an offensive opportunity, he will. It's what makes him one of the most gifted playmakers in the league. Up next, we'll take a look at a couple of footballing legends who might actually be extremely gifted playmakers themselves, even though people don't always know them for that. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about tonight's title sponsors at Built Bar. If you are a longtime Locked On listener, by now you know that I certainly love Built Bars. They're more like candy bars with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy, delicious interior. Of their 12 original flavors, I can highly recommend raspberry and chocolate mint. Both were great, but if you want to sample all of their original flavors, be sure to check out their variety box so you get the best of both worlds. Like any great company though, Build is always looking for ways to innovate, and they're back and better than ever with a brand new formula. They've also added six new delicious Built Bar flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If these make your mouth water, then you'll love knowing you can enjoy them guilt-free. Built Bars clock in at around 200 calories or less, 5 grams of net carbs, and between 15 to 19 grams of protein. They're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. Getting started with Built Bar is super easy. Just go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. 
Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are up next talking about some top goal scorers and playmakers from football. We've talked about what makes guys like Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley very special, especially in, in Shifley's way of being a creative playmaker as well as a gifted goal scorer. In football, we actually have quite a few players who have similar sorts of traits, and I feel like one who has often stood out to me but maybe doesn't get a lot of appreciation is Kareem Benzema. Benzema is also kind of a funny discussion because I'm pretty sure he's the guy who had the Winnipeg Jets hat ages ago because he liked the logo or something. Benzema himself is a really curious center forward because for a long time he was often thought to be more of a distributor. I think Kareem was essentially asked to feed guys like Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo on the regular. When Ronaldo left for Juventus though, of course, there was a bit of a void finding like a natural striker on Real Madrid's roster. Bale kind of fell out of favor with their manager in Zidane and, of course, hasn't really played that much, period, so it often fell to Kareem Benzema to pick up the offensive load, and Benzema responded by being a double-digit goal scorer and arguably Real's most complete forward last season. This year, he's again repeating some of his success, although Real Madrid has struggled quite a bit more this year than they did last season. Benzema's a very interesting player because he's often been somebody who's almost like a false nine, a center forward, and occasionally a lead striker depending on the situation. He's got incredible vision, really good distribution, very smart spatial awareness, and he just seems to understand how to pick apart defensive alignments near the box in ways that other players just don't really have the capability of seeing. He is an incredibly creative playmaker, a very gifted scorer, and an excellent hold-up second striker, but but of course now he is their lead striker, and again he continues to acquit himself nicely. I think people have forgotten that Benzema was one of the best center forwards in all of world football for many years before he started to age out and kind of took a bit of a backseat to Ronaldo, but now that he is in fact the lead target man again, it's starting to show just how much of a world-class player he truly is. Another incredibly gifted playmaker with an eye for net who probably doesn't get as much attention as he should is Thomas Muller of Bayern. Of course, I don't like Bayern that much. They're a very annoying team. But when it comes to guys who understand offensive creation at an incredibly intimate level, I don't know that there are many better players than Muller. He has often been called the Ramdeuter because he is, in fact, what they call a space explorer in German. And it sort of refers to his approach to understanding how to create space, how to attack that space, and how to manipulate space both for himself and for his teammates. He's somebody who knows where to be at all times. He's got very good spatial awareness in setting up, you know, passing routes, shooting lanes, and carefully picking his way to the net. I, I feel like guys like Muller are incredibly smart when it comes to knowing the right offensive opportunities and channels to use. Playing with guys like Lewandowski, of course, just allows him to collect a ton of assists, and in his prime, he was also a really potent goal-scoring threat himself. While, of course, he has aged a bit and he's not quite the same player he used to be, Muller is still very good at what he does. He can pick a low corner very easily. He's comfortable using aerial battles because he's not exactly a short guy. He is on the taller side and he's got a lanky frame. And while he's not the fastest guy, he does get up the pitch pretty well and he definitely has an eye for goal. His upfield passing and progression allows him to create plenty of offensive opportunities for his teammates, which he's still pretty good at. So, obviously, Muller is a very complete attacker. I think that he's often cast as somewhere between like a center mid, uh, a bit of a cam, and sometimes a center forward. You can basically deploy him anywhere and get offensive value out of him just because he, he again, is always looking upfield and trying to create offense out of almost nothing. I'm not exactly sure how you replace someone like him because he's a very cerebral player and there just aren't many players who approach spatial attacking in the way that he sees the pitch. I'm hoping that, you know, in terms of hockey, Cole Perfetti kind of exhibits some of those same characteristics. While they both play extremely different sports, I think that they are both very smart about their particular fields of play. And I think both players have the same trait of being just as comfortable scoring goals themselves as they are setting them up for their teammates. 
As you can tell, I've definitely put all of my eggs in the Perfetti basket, but I'm confident that he's going to have a very good career, and I feel like maybe one day we'll call him the Thomas Muller of hockey. With that, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. I thank you so much for listening, and before we log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much, have a great night, and go Jets go!